Hello, welcome to Jakku Broadcast, episode six. Um, I'm Daniela. And I'm Melissa. And in this episode, we are basically going to uh, be talking about uh, the Phantom Menace and like basically the themes of the Phantom Menace that we found interesting and like how the plot basically surrounds those themes and stuff so the two themes we really wanted to talk about were symbiosis and fear and we're also going to go ahead and like talk about things that are kind of miscellaneous that aren't don't really fit into those themes but um interest us enough to like we want to talk about them oh yeah a couple things we're gonna go ahead and start out with the news roundup and of the past two weeks so melissa if you can go ahead so in recent news um there is a new book coming out called secrets of the jedi it is a book from luke's point of view Uh, it is a book from the author mark summerick he's chronicling the history of the jedi order with basically luke skywalker as your basically like a tour guide uh coming out november 19th It'll actually have like a couple different paragraphs of all different Jedi that were um, in the past, and these will have like really cool paintings to go along with them. And we actually got to see some snippets of the book, and some of these are some of the art looks really cool. And they're actually going to have some special interactive features as well, including like a pop-up holocron, a translator card, and a Jedi equipment booklet, as well as other stuff as well. Um, I was there. I was looking through the snippet of these pages, and some things caught my eye. There was a section where Luke went into kind of what happened at the Jedi Academy from his academy on that day when Ben burnt it down. Uh, it was really cool to see that um, he basically expressed like regret with how things turned out with Ben, and um, also. Just again, this is from Luke's perspective, so we don't still really know what happened that night. But it was really cool to see his perspective a little bit more elaborated on that day, and um, also some really cool art to see of like our boy Ben when he was a a youngling. Um, what others? What other thing caught our eye was that uh, Luke also kind of went into Jedi Force ghosts a bit in the spirits like section. He talked about that certain Jedi were able to learn this power of becoming a Force ghost. So apparently not every Jedi can become a Force ghost. And he said that this could only work, or this could only be um, obtained through getting training from priestesses, Force priestesses. He calls them ancient Force priestesses, and that knowledge was passed down onto only a few people like Obi-Wan Yoda and then his father Anakin. Um, and then he said these spirits guided him for years but vanished when he shut himself off from the Force. And we just pretty much, as we looked at this painting of the Force priestesses, we noticed that they really look a lot like those priestesses from Yoda's episode in the Clone Wars when um, he was having all those visions um do you remember that episode danny yes whenever he went to that one planet i'm sorry i don't know the planet but he goes there and it's kind of like um it's the lost mission episodes right Mm-hmm. yeah yeah where yoda sees everything that's going to happen in the future 
and everything like that. Yeah. Although yeah. they don't even show us what's going to happen in the future. <laughs> Spoiler right. alert, I guess. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool that they kind of brought that back. Again, like, I wish they kind of elaborated more about these priestesses. Because, I mean, that would mean that they're, like, pretty much creators of the force maybe or, or i guess when they think of when we think of priestesses maybe they're just these powerful beings that are able to use the force and kind of protect it and sort of pass it down like they're probably just really ancient force users that somehow got all this power and abilities i mean again i we don't really know but i really hope we get to know more about that because that's super interesting. Like, that's, you know, that's kind of World Between Worlds-y and Mortis Arky. So I really like that stuff. So hopefully we get to know more about that. Um, moving on, we also got to know about this new animated series on the Star Wars Kids YouTube channel called Star Wars Rollout. Where basically all the characters look like BB-8 balls. <laughs> like these rollout droids. Like the style that BB-8 is in is basically what those characters look like. And they're... They're aimed for kids, and the new one, I knew the first episode just came out on the Friday, so it was cool. I, I, liked, I liked the way the art looks. It looks kind of like video gamey, I guess maybe because the way the camera kind of pans throughout. It seems like, it feels like an old video game, but it was really cool to see because in that short trailer or teaser for the animated series, we got to see a little baby Ben, like, roll out. In rollout style, isn't he? Isn't he? He doesn't he have the same kind of the same outfit as his father? Yes, he's just like his father. Just like his father. His only difference is like he's got like red pants instead of like brown. But oh my gosh, like this is (laughs) this is just more like evidence to show that yeah, if you think this is gonna be Disney's main villain, you are sorely mistaken. (laughs) Like, there's no way Disney makes this. BB Ben and he's not going to be redeemed like I'm sorry that just doesn't happen that doesn't make any sense and I'm super excited to see like little mini episodes of Ben like and they had Ben and Han like there so I'm only going to assume that it's episodes of them too like could you imagine could you imagine them together (sighs) Danny I can't (laughs) <laughs> well we've already seen them together and someone ended up dead so <laughs> and we could only go up from here <laughs> yes i know <laughs> that's hilarious but yes i'm really excited and did you see his his cheeks like they're blushing and he yes, and yes. ray he's are the only he, kylo baby kylo kaiwo Kaiwo, oh my god, stop. But it's only him and Ray that have like the blushing cheeks. I think it's really cute. So yeah. Yeah, Twitter blew up on that day. <laughs> I bet. I I wouldn't know. Yeah, you're you're like you're you're Luke you looked yourself. I, yeah, I looked myself. <laughs> you looked yourself. So um you're gonna have to tell me where you live so I can go and like bust down your door to get you back into social media. <laughs> and eventually i'll go back yeah the next bit of news is just happened today so this is fresh out of the oven um john williams brother don williams had an interview with um or from scoring arts um where he said he's that um he's talking about 
I guess they were talking about the scoring of Jurassic Park and everything because he worked on that. And he went into what they're doing now, uh, him, him and his brother, which is um, The Rise of Skywalker. And he actually says that he's got 135 minutes worth of music to write. He's talking about his brother, John. And he says, every theme you've ever heard is going to be compiled into this last effort. Of course it is. That Jewel <laughs> of the Fates, it's happening. I want Across the Stars, <laughs> please. But like in a new, like, reformed fashion for this episode, you know, I think yeah, that'd be course. super awesome. He also revealed that his brother... Um, he says that he's got all this music to write and that he says that kind of tells how long the film is. He said, it is top to bottom music. We've done four days and we just scratched the surface. I think we've got something like 34 minutes in the canon at this point. So I don't, again, like people are saying that kind of shows how long the film is like, okay, it's going to be an hour and a half, two hours and a half. But we have to think about that. Not all the music that a composer creates is going to be put into the movie and plus we don't know if he was generalizing like yeah it's 135 minutes that's the whole movie or if he means like that's just the amount of music they have to write like it could be longer than that it could be three hours or it could be three and a half like i cross my fingers i kind of want it to be really long but we i like yeah we don't really know for sure i want him to almost elaborate what he means but disney will probably snipe him or something if he does that but yeah he probably can't say too much about it but i really want it to be long because yeah. if endgame could pull it off like why can't star wars the thing is like for me i'm not sure how long i want it to be i kind of don't when it comes to length for me what's important is what um whatever length actually is enough to tell the story and not have it feel rushed and everything so for example i think that the force awakens which was two hours and 16 minutes long i think that was enough time for that story to tell what it wanted to tell and then i think that the last jedi was enough to tell the story it wanted to tell but like whenever you think about the last jedi so after the supremacy is destroyed, there's still another 40 minutes in that story. And I think that the the crate sequence is also necessary to the story, but it is long. So I don't, it's not that I don't want it, because I want to live in the Star, War, Star Wars Skywalker world for the rest of my life probably, <laughs> but I know that's not possible. So essentially, whatever length JJ thinks is appropriate to tell the story that he wants to tell then i think that it's better than having a long story that has things that you might not think are necessary or i mean that's but fair. at this point at this point i think we probably pretty much just want every we don't want to we, we don't want to say goodbye is the problem so um yeah but for me i think like yes of course i want a three four hour six hour star wars story but you know if that's not something that people or if that's that's not something that's obviously going going to happen but so as long as jj feels comfortable with the story he t tells and whenever i watch it if i see that everything is yeah. wrapped up nicely then i think that that'll be fine like i yeah. mean i didn't watch end so i wouldn't know um 
how the whole story went and like if it feels necessary or not and i i'm not invested in the mcu but when it comes to star wars yeah for me i just want it to be wrapped up and i know they have a lot of stuff to wrap up so whatever length that needs to be whatever you know what i mean yeah i mean i don't i guess the main thing is i don't want jj to feel constricted with his time like i i for me like of course i want it really long but I also don't want JJ to feel like, okay, I got to make this like two hours and, ha- and, and a half. Like, I can't do anything more than that. Like, I want him to feel like he can go more than that if he wants to. You know, because if he feels like there's more that he has to talk about, because there's a lot of loose ends he has to, to wrap up. He said himself that, you know, there has to be a movie that stands on alone and also the culmination of the Skywalker saga. So I don't want him to feel like he's constrained, you know? Of course, yeah. Okay. And I looked up actually today. I looked up I am on IMDb. I looked up the length of J.J. Abrams movies, and they're pretty much all two minute, two hours, two minutes. They're all two <laughs> minutes, so guys. No, they're two hours and then some minutes, like under ten. And I think The Force Awakens was his longest movie. So yeah, and then um, and Ryan's movie was like two or two and a half hours. Yeah. So, you know, it's doable for and star wars point, movie that was the longest star wars movie at the point that yeah point. that's so, the longest one so far Jedi. so yeah i think it'd be nice if you can go a little over than that but you know <laughs> you just you i just, just don't want to look, say look, goodbye for, i don't want to say goodbye either so <laughs> for the last I, I jedi for the last jedi the for lengthwise like i thought it was good length it was a good length i just wish there was a little bit less cano bite and a little bit more of like things I wanted to see personally, but yeah. I, I think mean, it, this isn't a last Jedi episode, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight you on that, but I, know. I understand your feelings. I just, my main point valid. is that if JJ is going to include things that I want to see, like of like Kylo and Ray, basically, basically if he gives me a lot of more Raylo than previous episodes, then I don't mind it going to like four hours. Okay. No, I understand. Yeah. We have searched you out because we wish to form an alliance. Your Honor. Usadis. I am Queen Amidala. This is my decoy, my protection, my loyal bodyguard. I'm sorry for my deception, but it was necessary to protect myself. Although we do not always agree, Your Honor, our two great societies have always lived in peace. Trade Federation has destroyed all that we have worked so hard to build. If we do not act quickly, all will be lost forever. I ask you to help us. No, I beg you to help us. We are your humble servants. Our fate is in your hands. Okay, so now we're moving on to the next section. And the next section is essentially just the bulk of this episode which is going to be about The Phantom Menace. Um, I have recently watched The Phantom Menace uh, like every week for three weeks. And <laughs> yes, it's obsessive that I did that, but um, I watched it myself. And then I wanted m- to introduce my parents to Star Wars. Like my dad had watched the original trilogy, but he hadn't watched it in years since probably it came out. So I w- he's never watched the... Um, prequel trilogy so i'm in getting them ready for the uh rise of skywalker i wanted them to actually understand the story so i've been showing them the prequel trilogy and they've already seen the sequel trilogy so um yeah so 
that's why I watched it a lot because one time it was for me, the second time it was for um, them, and now the third time was for the podcast so that I could take notes and everything. How about you, Melissa? Um, How did you watch it? Watch it like for this podcast or just for the first time? Either one, but uh, for this podcast. Um, I actually watched it with the commentary on with George and the other executive producers talking about the movie while it was going on. And he he talked about some really interesting things. So throughout our episode today, I'll be throwing in some things that he said um, at certain points with our theme. So it's really interesting. Yeah, George is really like, you can tell that he's thought about everything. Like every single detail and he can justify everything. He really talk he really thinks each scene through like he he's so smart like (laughs) of course he's smart but i mean if you actually hear him talk like throughout like the throughout his work like you can hear that he really cares about what he's putting out there and you know i don't think a lot of people give him credit for that especially but yeah he's very uh he's a thoughtful man i think i've listened to so many interviews given by him and he really cares about like story structure and he really like if you see the webisodes for the behind the scenes of there is one for um whenever they were creating the general grievous um Mm -hmm. he wanted a scary villain and everything but then whenever he looked at the concept art that they showed him on the wall some of them looked too much like darth vader and since that was revenge of the sith they were like well we kind of want um a different look from darth vader because you don't want to confuse kids with the same look you know what i mean yeah he's always thinking about his scenes and the kids and what they would bring out of his work yeah, I wonder if whenever he was making the movies, if he had like a, you know how in advertising they have, they show them to focus groups. I wonder if the focus <laughs> groups were children. <laughs> that I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he yeah. even told like John Favreau, you know, when he was making The Mandalorian, like, just don't forget that this is for kids. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, he's still trying to. He's probably, partake. he probably has told that to, um. Benioff and Weiss for the <laughs> next uh, movie he, they're making. Like, it's for kids. I'm sure he tells that to every single new creative. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure Lucasfilm has, like, um, whenever they talk to Dave Filoni or anybody that's worked in Star Wars before, I think that that's the, that's the motto, essentially. It's for kids. Well, yeah. That doesn't necessarily... I, I think a lot of people think that that means that it's not going to be, like, an intellectual stimulant or whatever, but, like... There's a lot of children's stories that are, like, really smart. And you have to be really smart when you come up with those kinds of stories because you got to – it's about teaching them things. So you have to think everything out. You have to make sure everything makes sense, all that kind of stuff. Right. Like, Like kids kids mm -hmm. aren't just attracted to big explosions. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, you can do things in a different manner, too, to kind of make it a little bit more – you know, like symbolism and all those things, like especially in The Last Jedi, you know, probably younger kids won't get a lot of the symbolism, but for, you know, older adults, you know, that that can be seen a lot more easily. So it's like for both, you know, you can see that kids can easily take things from The Last Jedi and then adults can too. So it's good. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. So um, basically, um, if you've never watched The Phantom Menace, it's a story about what are you doing to at the, listening to this? But anyway, <laughs> it's essentially a story about how um, a master Jedi who is Qui-Gon Jinn and his apprentice who is Obi-Wan Kenobi, how they kind of navigate through a situation that they're put in through um, that they went to go. There's a treaty that they went to go negotiate but then the people who are the trade federation they weren't interested in negotiating they kind of wanted to use force to uh, enforce this planet into um, they wanted them to be pliant and be um, subjugated to their will um, the trade federation did and then the, there's a sinister force behind the trade federation who is they're the sith who are kind of like opposites of the jedi and there's a master and apprentice there as well and the master is um he's uh darth sidious and then the apprentice is darth maul and yeah so um basically the phantom menace navigates the whole story surrounds the plot against N- Naboo and how the good guys defend it, essentially. Um, is there anything I missed? Uh, like a basic summary? That's the basic summary. I mean, even George Lucas, in, during the commentary, he, he pretty much said that this movie is mainly about Padme and Naboo and what is happening to her planet uh, with the Trade Federation. So, yes. It- mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's just so convoluted sometimes. Even though it's simple, it's still kind of like, okay, there's this, and there's these plot threads that come from this, <laughs> and then there's this other thing, and there's other plot th- threads, and then they merge together. So basic storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. All right. Um. So one of the first themes that we wanted to talk about was um, symbiosis. And I think symbiosis is the probably the main theme of the phantom menace in my opinion um well uh it's kind of so symbiosis is about like two different um organisms or two species or two living things working together to um to help each other thrive basically yeah and basically i mean you can even (laughs) throwing in my two cents that it could pretty much mean Raylo as well but you know but yeah, this is, yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna throw that but in. We're trying to keep it to the sequel trilogy. I know. I just can't that really in. talk about one without the other because they definitely are in tandem with each other, both um, the prequel and the sequel trilogy. Right, and you know, I do consider like the Phantom Menace as a bookend to the whole. You mean the start? The, saga. the start? Yeah, it's the start. And the Rise like of Skywalker is the bookend. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Like, well, I mean, if you have two bookends, one <laughs> one at the very beginning, one at the very end, you know what I mean? Holding it all together. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like this is definitely one side of that. What's the beginning? Duh. <laughs> so, it, you know, I could totally see how certain themes could parallel the secret trilogy. Um, but yeah, I think for symbiosis, do you want to read this quote? Or... Yeah, um, you can be Anakin and I'll be Qui-Gon. Okay. Okay, so this is the scene where um, the midichlorians are uh, 
explain to baby Anakin. And so I'll start off. And then Qui-Gon says, Metachlorians are a microscopic life form that resides in all living cells. They live inside me? Inside your cells, yes. And we are symbionts with them. Symbionts? Life forms living together for mutual advantage. Without the midichlorians, life could not exist and we would have no knowledge of the Force. They continually speak to us, telling us the will of the Force. When you learn to quiet your mind, you'll hear them speaking to you. So basically, Qui-Gon is saying that humans and, well, not humans, but creatures, living creatures and midichlorians are in a symbiont relationship. So basically that... Um, without like midichlorians, you know, things don't exist. And then, uh, we would have like people, creatures wouldn't be able to have any relationship with the force at all if midichlorians did not exist. Yes. And I think with this quote, we can say that the force basically started life, right? Like not trying to be, um, blasphemous or anything, but in the Star Wars story, it would just kind of be like the force is God, right? And the midichlorians is how the forest slash god talks to its uh, creations. Right. So we know that in the Star Wars universe, there's basically two kinds of the force. You could say that it's the cosmic force and the living force. So we know that the living force is basically what's in everything that gives life to everything, everything in the on you know that's living the creatures the plants things like that and the cosmic force is a little bit more about i would say destiny in the future and how would you explain it like that it's more so i think the cosmic force is kind of more the of the esoteric term it's kind of um in my opinion it would be kind of what brings people together maybe um it's a very confusing theme that i'm not sure i'm not exactly sure if i'm right or wrong but for the cosmic force i think we agreed that it was kind of like basically what leads r2d2 kind of to luke in a new hope so that he can get the message to um obi-wan kenobi so basically all that's all of that stuff is working in tandem to get to one outcome you know yeah, I think um, we'll agree that it's kind of the force that keeps things moving. It keeps, um, like, the certain, it'll bring certain people, like you said, together. It'll allow for certain things to happen. Like I think, the force you know, visions yeah, and like stuff. Force, visit, force visions, the dreams, uh, the premonitions that some people will have. I think that's by the cosmic force um, providing those types of things to be able to be yeah. seen and so, then the living force just keeps like the world moving too like it's what was explained in the last jedi but more in a physical way yeah so like life and death and the warmth the cold and everything that works in tandem so everything that's in in a symbiont on relationship kind of I think that's kind of the living force and if if you guys have any ideas of what the force the like living versus cosmic force is to you um write in cuz this is actually something that I'm like super interested in 
hearing people's opinions because I feel like everybody comes to a different conclusion because they're concepts that we don't think about too often in our lives. So whenever we think about it in the Star Wars world, it's kind of like, wait, you know? Yeah. Everybody can pull their own like opinions about what they think the cosmic and the living force is. Yes. And uh, you can email us at jackubroadcast at gmail.com or, uh, you know, contact us through Twitter, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I'm interested in hearing what people's um, definitions of the cosmic versus the living force are. So another symbiotic relationship in this movie is this is huge, too, because this is really apparent. You know, it's the Gungans and the people of Naboo. Um, you can see that even he, George Lucas mentioned in his commentary that in this movie, he's showing that two cultures who are different come together uh, and work together when even before and earlier in the movie, they didn't even want to speak to each other. So it's it, he's able to show that they're in a symbiotic relationship, that they need each other at certain points to come together and unite to defeat the Trade Federation. So that's a really big, like, symbiotic hint right there. It's a really big relationship that we could look into. Um, it's really cool to see how Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon kind of were the middlemen for this relationship. Like, they pretty much brought them together. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's actually a quote where Obi-Wan's talking to the Gungans and he says, You and the Naboo form a symbiotic circle. What happens to one of you affects the other. You must understand this. And the context to this is he's before the um, Bosnaz and he's kind of like trying to get the Naboo the gungans to work with the naboo to pr to stop the droid invasion of naboo and obi-wan is trying to tell them that whenever they work together they have to work together because if something happens to the um i guess the the life forms um what are they called do they call them humans i don't think they call them humans um, in Star they just Wars, call right? them as like the naboo the people of naboo okay. So, like, if something happens to the Naboo, eventually it'll affect the Gungans, even though the Gungans are under the protection of the underwater city. Yeah, so they're basically, like, yeah. they have to work in tandem. Right. And you see that at the end of the Phantom Menace, because the Gungans and the Naboo work together to stop the droids, and they, success they are successful in doing so. Yeah, really, like, if the... The Gungans had to realize that if they don't actually help with this issue, they could possibly become, you know, controlled by the Trade Federation as well. Yeah, definitely. Because they're on the same planet, despite them being different cultures, different governments. Um, right. They had to unite just for this fact. And it wasn't just the um, Gungans who had to acquiesce to helping the humans like Padme at the towards the end when she finally reveals herself to the Naboo she bows down to them and she shows them respect and that's what the Naboo or that's not that's what the Gungans have wanted the Gungans wanted respect because I think Bosnaz was like the humans or the Naboo don't really respect the Gungans they think we're stupid or whatever they think they're superior to us and then through Padme, who is the queen of Naboo, she showed them that um, 
they could work together and she didn't show that she was better than them she kind of just um she bowed down she presented herself in front of them and she didn't use her handmaiden to speak for her at that point she knew how important it was that they work on the same team right so that's one of the big uh symbiotic relationships in the phantom menace um but there's more kind of there's um also the one between the master and apprentice and this one's kind of different than the gungans and the um, nabu but um so the master and apprentice relationship is very um you know what happens to one of them impacts the other so whenever obi-wan um sees that qui-gon dies he's obviously very impacted like he was already kind of ready to do the trials at that moment kind i think that qui-gon even told him that he was ready to pass the trials but i think that you know qui-gon's death was something that like shook him because because he promised qui-gon that he would train anakin like at that point he wasn't at that point, Obi-Wan's fate was not really tied to um, the little boy, Anakin, until he, until Qui-Gon actually, you know, died. And then he was like, oh, well, um, he promised Qui-Gon that he would train him. So um, there's an episode of What the Force, and I think Mary Claire Gold and her guest, um, Katie, who's at Pro Hot Dameron, they kind of talk about how, um, you know, the relationships between the master and apprentice of like the dark side, how it's not equal. And that's where their problem lies, because there's obviously the rule of two, because um, whenever the apprentice wants to become the master, the apprentice kills the master and then takes on a new apprentice because they're now the master. And I think that um, so when you look at the, the Jedi, like the Jedi aren't equal either like the master and apprentice relationship isn't how is it it isn't working i think as it should be like even in the book master and apprentice you see obi-wan and um qui-gon they're struggling to even see eye to eye right yeah yeah it's one of the main lines Mm -hmm. of that book yeah even a master and apprentice there it's you know i love how claudia gray goes into that whole relationship with them because Obi-Wan is scared to disappoint his master and then, you know, Qui-Gon is also scared to, you know, be a disappointing master to Obi-Wan. So it's kind of like they're having the same kind of internal struggles as the other and they're not communicating properly. And I think that's something that not just Obi-Wan and um, Qui-Gon experienced as master and apprentice in the Je- of the Jedi side like um i think if they've experienced it then there, there's probably like many other pupe like master and apprentice relationships that have not worked very well or they don't see eye to eye or they're not openly communicating because they're scared to disappoint the other and i think that maybe if they were they see, saw each other more as equals and that's the same thing that the what the force podcast raises in that episode they talk about how if they saw each other more as equals then they would be o- more openly communicative and they just you know what i mean yeah like there's probably uh like a kind of a feeling of superiority 
with like an apprentice and a master, like the apprentice yeah. would probably feel a little bit more or less inclined to talk about certain things. Yeah, and like there's no issue with having a teacher. Like having a teacher is not the issue, I think. I think the problem is that if you're seeing your they're basically partners. They're partners. So if you see your partner as being superior to you, you're not giving you the two of you aren't working as you should be, which is you're supposed to be equals. You know what I mean? Yeah, cuz for like every master and apprentice relationship like they pretty much have to work together in situations like as if they're partners you know they'll go on missions together they'll be you know going on these treaty (laughs) treaty like you know negotiations like it's a lot for a teacher and like a student you know to kind of work their way through this relationship while they're trying to solve problems you know for sure and there's another uh, topic that I actually noticed one of the times that I watched The Phantom Menace and it's whenever it's the pottery scene. So I had never really actually paid attention to everything that was going on in the pottery scene because it's so long. I mean, it's really interesting. I'm, it's visually beautiful in my opinion because you can tell how hard that the people, the visual effects people worked on that scene. And um, But I was actually paying attention this time and I noticed that there's a moment where one of the one of Anakin's engines stops working. So what he does is he transfers the power of one engine to the other engine so that they can work in tandem with each other. Like the power of the other engine is put into the other into the one that's mal- malfunctioning so that they're equals and. Uh, that's another it's just more of a visual cue i guess but it's just like you can see that you know um whenever two like two people are working in tandem with the same goal or whatever it's kind of a visual representation of that yeah i think um it kind of shows that you know things two things have to work together you know it can't just be one person doing everything which I guess you can kind of segment into like, well, does that mean like, you know, a chosen one, maybe if there can't be only one, um, you know, I think that also be like a case for, you know, the sequel trilogy in a way that, you know, it can't just be one person trying to save the galaxy. You know, it could be, it could, needs to be maybe two or even like, you know, it kind of shows that, you know, there's a symbiotic relationship kind of exists in that, in that setting where, you need one and another thing to kind of work together and bounce off each other, like you said. Yeah, and I know that that, those types of relationships are typically between, like, living forces, but I think that um, Star Wars always has, like, visual representations of the themes that they're trying to convey, even if it's, like, not through a living force, so... It's definitely symbolism. You know, I think it's a really big um, symbolic cue. Yeah, us. and it's one of those things that if you know, you know. Like if you like <laughs> if you dissect the movie like to its very like second, I um like I've kind of done. Um, I think that you <laughs> this is the it, bare bones. If you don't, if you don't notice it, then okay. But you know, it's just there if you want to see how like thorough they are in 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 having those themes in the movies. 
Yeah, I don't think any of this is an accident. And like we talked about earlier, like George is really smart. Like he knows what he's doing. And I think a lot of this is carrying over to the sequel trilogy as well. Yeah, for sure. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Okay, so um, for the next um, section, we're going to talk about fear, which is, this is George literally introducing the main issue of Star Wars in not just the prequel trilogy, but like all of the trilogies. He introduces it in the first episode of the franchise and, um, you know, talking about fear. But, um, okay, so we have two quotes. One of them is from the right beginning of the um, the movie. Like, it's, I think, the first lines of the movie. And the other is going to be Yoda talking to little Anakin. I'll be Obi-Wan and you can do Qui-Gon, Melissa. Okay. So Qui-Gon starts off saying, Don't center on your anxieties, Obi-Wan. Keep your concentration here and now where it belongs. But Master Yoda said I should be mindful of the future. But not at the expense of the moment. Being mindful of the living force, young Padawan. So basically, um, you know, this is right at the beginning when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are on the ship and um oh Qui-Gon's trying to calm Obi-Wan down a bit and he's trying to center him to the present um basically he's trying to tell Obi-Wan you know don't worry about what's going to happen just be present in this moment and which is kind of funny because Qui-Gon really likes prophecies <laughs> so I think that's kind of ironic but I think it's great that he also knows how to keep himself grounded in certain situations, which I think really makes him a really cool Jedi because he can kind of do both. He can he can think about the future and he can also keep himself centered at certain moments. Um, what do you think? How do you think he's trying to convey? What do you think he's trying to convey, Danny? Okay, so um, you know how in Revenge of the Sith, Anakin is consumed by his fears of the future. Yeah. So I think that this kind of quote is just kind of um, Qui-Gon saying that you have to be present in everyday life. You can't let something consume you where you're not living day to day and you're living. I mean, obviously, you have to be paying attention to, you know, your future goals, what may happen in your future and everything. But you don't want it to con- you don't want it to consume you so much that you can only think about that thing. You know what I mean? Right. Like I think that's the problem with Anakin. Like, yes, Padme may die, and that would be horrible. But he let that consume him. Like he thought he could change the outcome, and he was trying to figure out the outcome or how to s- change the outcome, like through Palpatine. But that's a different movie, but basically what I'm trying to say is you can't just, you can't live in fear of what might happen in the future if you're not, you you have to live your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we can see here, what does Yoda say about fear? This is the second quote. He says, fear is the main path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. So that basically gives you the answer to, okay, what if you do center on your anxieties? 
basically you'll be suffering all the time yeah definitely and i think that you know um i think that kind of summarizes everything that happened to vader didn't it yeah pretty much i mean letting this fear consume him basically allowed him to become vader yeah like you know fear to um this is kind of like the perfect example because Anakin feared he feared to have it, people who he loved die and I think that's kind of I mean it's obviously normal to be fearful of someone you love dying but he let that consume him and at that point he just he he you know went to the dark side and he was angry he became angry at the council for you know not taking him seriously I guess Although all the the fear kind of led to his his negative emotions just go haywire. Is that the word? Yeah, yeah. He went haywire. Like he went cur- not crazy. He didn't go crazy, but he just he couldn't control himself anymore when it came to negative emotions just because of the f- one little fear. And I think that you know, going back to the Phantom Menace, the fear started with Baby Anakin. Yeah, and I think Palpatine was able to see that, and he totally capitalized on Anakin's fear. And that's what allowed him to just, you know, be able to be controlled by him, because he was so consumed and blinded by his fear of losing Padme that he was not able to see what Palpatine was doing. Yeah. So I think that one of the, you know, the main um, themes for all of Star Wars is selflessness and doing the greater good even if you might not want it like because you know the selfishness leads to fear and all that stuff because then you're so you're so scared to lose what you have so i think shmi is complete opposite of that like before we go into the rest of the fear um in the phantom menace i wanted to talk about shmi because she shows selflessness in two different times in the movie like there's the time whenever she's um she's so scared that anakin is going to hurt himself during the um pod racing and she's like it kills me every time you do that because there's always the fear of dying and humans don't pod race it's usually the creatures on tatooine who do because i guess they have better um is it just because they're... Uh, I think quick- they have, like, a better uh, reaction times reaction and just better times. abilities. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and obviously Anakin has, you know, a higher midichlorian count than the whole planet. But um, essentially, Shmi eventually, she's like, okay, well, I fear you um, doing this because I don't want you to die. But you're dead set on doing this because you want to be able to have your friends get the pieces the missing missing pieces that they need to get off of the planet so there she shows selflessness because she's like okay well i'm your mom and i want this but i know that i can't do that because that would cause you to be hurt you know like not physically hurt as he would get in the potteries but he would be hurt that he couldn't help his friends and at this point anakin is just doing this by because he's being selfless and then the second time when um shimi is 
selfless is whenever she lets Anakin go. Like, obviously, at this point, she's still a slave, but she's still his mom. She could have still said, hey, I want you to stay here because you're basically my whole life. But um, she saw that he could have or she thought that he could have a better life with the Jedi because they could offer him something more than slavery. You know what I mean? Yeah, she, despite her feelings and, you know, losing her son, basically, because I'm pretty sure Qui-Gon told her that, you know, once you come to the Jedi Order, you know, he won't be able to come see you anymore. You know, pretty much that's how all the Jedi, the younglings, came into the Academy, that they'd pretty much forego all attachment and relationships, and they're not allowed to contact family anymore or see them. So, um, you know, she has to think about this and, you know, realize that this is for the better of her son, you know, to get a better life than on this planet with, you know, <laughs> being a slave. And, you know, she sacrifices her whole relationship with him, and she knows that this is for the better. So she really, despite her fear of, you know, everything she's thinking about, she is selfless in this act in letting her son go i think that's really i think that's really cool that's really special because you know if you're a parent you kind of would probably be able to relate with her you know <laughs> like heck no am i gonna let my son go somewhere where i've never been or don't know and never have him contact me again <laughs> yeah no and i think it's you know um Parents are always, you know, as an immigrant, it kind of the storyline really touched on me because I know my parents, they let go of their parents when they came over here, basically. So whenever we were from Mexico, so uh, we moved to the United States and, um, you know, I mean, we could see them like, still, but um, it's not the same as living with them like mm -hmm. all the time and ne living near them and stuff. So it's I mean, it kind of you know reminded me of that because you, there's a true selflessness in you know immigrants who move to a different place because they want their kids to have a better life and so yeah i i i was really struck by the emotional weight of An of shmi letting anakin go because she knows she can't provide better for um her son yeah and i think that um Shmi is probably the most pure, um, most pure, uh, what's it called? The most pure version of that in Star Wars, of selflessness. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you think about it, I think it's really cool to think, um, you know, this is this was the forces, the cosmic forces will. And if Shmi acted on her fear and probably prevented Anakin from going... I guess you could argue, like, well, then maybe Darth Vader wouldn't have been created. But that was out of an act of fear later down the road. So I feel like you can't really count that event. But if you would think about, okay, Shmi allowed this, her boy, her son, to go and become, like, a really great Jedi. And a, like a Jedi Master as well. You know, so, so he really, you know, even if you think about watching the Clone Wars, you know, we could see everything, all the good that Anakin did before he became Darth Vader. Um, and there's also the whole thing where Shmi knows Anakin is special because there's no father. And, I mean, that kind of is murky ter territory because it's kind of like, 
I mean, personally, I don't really like the trope of the force, <laughs> like impregnating you know, her. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It wasn't like she wasn't. She didn't agree with to that. So, um, that's kind of sketchy. But at the same time, like her being um, uh, I don't know if she was a virgin, but she didn't have. He didn't have a father. I think it's just. It, it's very important elaboration of that we don't really know exactly how that went down so it's hard yeah. to say i can assume that they're well basically from what the story said we don't know anything about that so i'm just gonna assume that one day shimi realized she was pregnant and i think that that it's like obviously that's really strange so i would assume that she knew that he was a special boy and then obviously how good he is he knows nothing of um selfishness and greed that i think that's what shmi tells qui-gon so she knows he's very important so she's hoping that whenever she sends him away that he could hone in on more on that you know yeah could you imagine like how much flack shmi probably got when she first discovered she was pregnant yeah like (laughs) we don't even know what planet she was on at that point like we don't know if if anakin's from tatooine like we don't know his birth planet. We don't know if he had any like family members or anything. Yeah, we don't know where Shmi was when this happened. And, you know, I wonder if people kind of made fun of her or like thinking, oh, her husband or her guy like left her or something like that, you know? So yeah. we don't. And she's still able to be like this really kind, like selfless person, possibly after all of that. Like, you know, I think I yeah. want to make Shmi like an appreciation, like post or something well that's yeah i mean shmi is literally work doing everything to like to the advantage of what she anakin like um anakin probably would have benefited more from seeing um shmi in the future past the phantom menace but um i think we're gonna get into that in just a few seconds so now we could go on to i guess um anakin's selflessness because that kind of goes in with um you know with shmi so um yeah we we pretty much we touched upon anakin's selflessness um with the pod racing um he knew that he needed to do something or he knew that he could do something with his pod racing skills um and he he really you know he really tries to do he's a really like he's a like george lucas said himself that he didn't want to portray Anakin as like this bad kid that all of a sudden he's he's always been like this really bad like evil kid and all of a sudden he's Darth Vader hey no surprise right but he really wanted to show a different side of Anakin that no he didn't grow up you know as a bad kid jaded through his experiences that he was a really sweet kid actually growing up and he really wanted to go into how he became that way and what choices he made which you know was all the fear um, but before all that, you know, we we're able to see how Anakin was originally, you know, with his selflessness, being able to pod- go into the pod race and basically help his friends. Um, and we can kind of see uh, how his selflessness kind of turns into fear when he leaves his mother. Uh, we can see it on his face. He's really doubtful. He's hesitant. He doesn't know if he doesn't think he can do this, especially not without his mom. Um, so that's like, probably the first tidbit that we could see of his attachment to his mom and how that could possibly 
become a problem in the future. It's kind of almost like a foreshadowing, I think, that later on, like, his attachment to his mom and how he feels that fear of leaving her will affect him later in the future when he realizes that she needs, she is in trouble. Um, Yeah, and I think when you think about it, like, um, so he was truly being selfless in the pod racing stuff because, yes, he would be helping his friends, but at the same time, you know, his friends would be leaving him after they got the part. And he wasn't really worried about that. He wasn't worried about losing his friends. He was just thinking about them and, you know, wanting to help them with their goal. And when it comes to, like, Shmi and leaving her, um, yes, I think that, you know, the Jedi separating kids from their mothers is, like, not good. It's literally parallel to um the first order taking finn from his family and i think that it's not a good thing and obviously anakin could have done with seeing his mother more and but i think that the whole you know the extreme of it like the extremes of not seeing your mother after you've seen her every day of your life from you know birth is really you know it's something that doesn't help the jedi and it didn't help anakin's psyche because um that's why they take their kids the kids away from whenever they're like little so that they don't remember their parents because whenever you have someone like anakin who has seen his mom every day of his life until he was taken like obviously he chose to go and his mom let him go but it's still them not letting him see her so it's kind of extremes like back to what i was saying it's like if you had never had any bit of sugar in your whole life and then you get a taste of sugar then you eat a lot of it all at once or if you're always eating sugar and then you never have and then for the like the next week you don't have sugar you're just like kind of really in a bad headspace because <laughs> yeah you know so the extremity of the jedi where it's like you can't see them at all i think that's a comment like george is trying to comment on how bad that is like you yeah. know kids need their mothers and it's really not and they're really not that different from the first order like there's a really thin line with that yeah exactly like taking their kids like obviously i'm assuming that the jedi had consent but how much can a child consent when they they don't even have a memory of when they left their their parents right that's why like people like dooku and people like um anakin people who have they have been introduced to family members and then they um you know they they can't really see them and unless they want to get in trouble with the Jedi Order or they're scared to get in trouble with the Jedi Order if they see them, like, I think that that's a problem whenever you don't allow it at all. Because if the Jedi are so much about love, why why are they taking that source of love from children? Right, and even, like, um, another character we could throw into is Rail Avaros. Like, if you listen to Mil- uh, Master and Apprentice and um, Dooku Jedi Lost, like, they even say that because he was taken at a later age, 
than all the rest of the the uh, Jedi younglings. Like he couldn't really conform as much to the Jedi rules because he was already he knew his family. He already knew, kind of knew where he came from, and he had a really hard time adjusting. And even when he's older, he, like you know, he's not really the most like standard. He's not a standard Jedi really. He's really unique. So yeah, and that's the issue. Like Hux himself. Like I like how that's a part of the sequel trilogy because Hux himself, his agenda for how to get stormtroopers is essentially the same as the Jedi for how to get Jedi, like younglings, and that's an issue. And I think that more people need to be thinking about that because, um, I'm not saying that the Jedi are as evil as the First Order because I don't think they are, but I think that their methods are evil. Like not intentionally maybe but it's just kind of i know that the reason that they took the the kids from their parents is so that the there could be compassion and you know um so that the jedi aren't you know tied down to one person that they love but at the same time it's like these are toddlers probably at the age that they're being taken so so yeah like even we can think about anakin too um when right after he left his mom, he pretty much attached himself to Padme as well, <laughs> which is, you know, was the, I mean, he was pretty much already in, like curious about her when he first met her, but right when he got into the ship and he met Obi-Wan and the whole thing with Darth Maul, um, you know, he was scared. He even said, you know, I'm cold. Um, he's not used to being in this new place. Um, space is, you know, different, and he's not used to it, and, you know, Padme was there with him, and she was, she even said, you know, I'm scared too, but she displayed that, you know, together, both of them, they could, you know, they took comfort in each other, and they also were comforting each other at the same time, and I think that's really, that's really cool how, you know, they were able to seek comfort in each other, and, during their time of fear, they kind of sought each other out in a way. How, you know, I think that's possibly a way to kind of battle the fear that you may have is, you know, finding somebody to help you along that struggle. Um, that, it, you know, it doesn't have to be just you um, being fearful and unsure. You know, you could talk about it with somebody else and it was really nice to see that Padme was doing that with Anakin and she saw him you know needing that too so to go off of that thing about you know at uh, Padme and Anakin kind of bonding on that ship whenever they were leaving Tatooine I think that since he was so scared of leaving his mom and he was cold I like and then Padme was there to help him out I think that that kind of like he he pushed his attachment from his mom onto Padme and oh, yeah. it's kind of edible like there's um there's a definite there's a definite Oedipus complex with Anakin and Padme so in the next movie Attack of the Clones you hear Anakin talking about how he's thought of Padme every single day since he last saw her so like Obviously, his attachment from his mother went straight to Padme, and he, like I said, it's the same thing about the sugar. Like, if you've never had sugar and you have sugar, then you just binge it. Like, <laughs> it's kind of like that. Only this time, he's being deprived of it, kind of. Um, 
but so he doesn't have a healthy he doesn't have a healthy attachment to people at all like Anakin does doesn't like even with Obi-Wan he doesn't have a healthy attachment to him either like if he 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 loves him but at the same time he thinks that and everything Obi-Wan does is working against Anakin yeah so I think that his relationships with people are truly messed up because um the Jedi lifestyle where you can't be like oh I love you and like I want to help you and all my intentions are for your benefit like they can't say that like because they're Jedi right and everything like as you've told me before it's all down to concealment you have to conceal your feelings and you can't see your mom and you're super attached to this girl that you like built up in your head so it's just not healthy at all yeah it doesn't the jedi really don't allow for any <laughs> type of relationship to be health a healthy type of yeah relationship. I, I think that kind of that's kind of a restraint on the jedi i think is it because they didn't allow these things to happen it just came out in an extreme yeah. way and like yeah and all these things are human emotions well i know not all jedi are human so it's just kind of uh, it's kind of something that let's say all conscious people are all conscious beings kind of beings yes better word for it thank you they're all aware of that like everyone could be impacted with that kind of sensibility so so um i wanted to go into padme a little bit more and how she gave into her fear of she basically gave palpatine power by calling for a vote of no confidence on one of her allies who just wanted to verify that, you know, what she was accused was valid. So Chancellor Valorum, um, she said that she had no confidence in him. And, you know, basically that was Palpatine whispering in her ear, kind of like a snake uh, whispering into Eve's ear in a way. Um, basically, she allowed Palpatine to kind of bring her fear into light and allow make her take an action uh on that fear and because of that he got the he got the vote uh to become a chancellor and uh that basically allowed ruined him the galaxy yeah basically ruined everybody's life <laughs> um so, so it's all on padme yeah <laughs> well i mean it's not really because you know um she didn't know that that was going to happen but at the same time like her fear of her planet being destroyed is literally what got palpatine into power and it i think palpatine even or somebody an advisor even says that due to the whole he will get sympathy votes because of the whole thing that's going on in naboo so he's really controlling both sides because he's also obviously Darth Sidious, spoiler alert, and <laughs> he's controlling the Trade Federation and Ma. So at this point, he's basically getting everything he wants. Yeah, and he's totally honing in on those fears of everybody that he meets. You know, he he made Padme act on her fears. He made Anakin ha uh, act on his fears. So he knows what's like the everyone's weakness and how he could use that. And he'll probably do that in The Rise of Skywalker too, which will be interesting to see. Um, but here, he kn he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and um, later on, though... Uh-huh. Yeah, Sorry. no, speaking to that, no. 
like this is gonna lead up to your point i think Mm -hmm. like as soon as she stops acting the way that he wants her to act as if as in she goes back to naboo because she needs to help her people like she can't just be concerned with what's going on in you know the senate like as soon as he starts kind of losing control of padme because she's no longer scared she's like i'm gonna be proactive about this and do something instead of sitting here and letting him whisper well she doesn't say this or think this but instead of her being like reassured that something horrible is happening to naboo she goes and she is proactive and go on what were you gonna say with this point yeah i was gonna say that when padme comes back to naboo she lets go of her fears and she's able to work with the gungans and you know they unite together against the trade federation and because she was able to do that, you know, basically Naboo is able to win. And the unity between the Gungans and, and the Naboo is formed. So we peace. can kind of... Peace. <laughs> we can kind of see how letting go of your fears kind of culminates into basically a win. Like a, It's actually a nice way to see that, yeah, once this happens, um, you're able to achieve great things. You know, the Gungans and the Naboo, you know... Despite them being afraid, they were able to defeat the droids. And, you know, we could actually. Uh huh. um, I want to ask a question. And, you know, um, would they have defeated the Trade Federation if she had just. Like, she. Let's pretend Padme never goes back to Coruscant and she goes into. She does the same exact thing that she does when she gets to Naboo, but she never went to Coruscant. Would she? They would still be able to defeat the Trade Federation, right? Um, yeah, I think is if she didn't, I think if she didn't unite with the Gungans, then they probably would have lost. No, not not no no. I mean, I know that they had to unite with the Gungans and all that stuff that sh- happens on Naboo oh. would happen Sir- in Naboo. But if she uh-huh. had skipped the whole vote of no confidence portion of the story, I think, do you think that they would have been able to defeat? Um, you know, I think because she went to Coruscant, she was able to put away her fears after that. Like, after Coruscant, she realized, okay, I need to solve this problem because the yeah. Senate's not really going to help. <laughs> I think in Coruscant, in Coruscant, um jar jar um he actually tells her about how how the um gungans are very like their war um their fighters you know yeah they're really warriors they're really war oriented so maybe she did have to go to coruscant to get the idea that she had to go back to naboo but i kind of okay like let's say that instead of going to coruscant they go to naboo if she skips coruscant and goes to naboo and talks to the gungans i think that there's a possibility that maybe perhaps that they never had to go and do the vote of no confidence you know what i mean mm-hmm. like that's not the vote of no confidence doesn't really do anything for the um naboo uh, planet like they solved their own issues themselves afterwards it's just she was able to go to coruscant and then she was really scared because of the whisperings in um that palpatine was telling her you know yeah am i making sense no no no. yeah you're making sense yeah i think the whole vote of no confidence was mainly it's a plus for 
Palpatine. It doesn't really of affect course. And like obviously the story, the story needs that. But I think that that was what causes the Star War. Does yeah. that make sense? Because that gives him power. Yeah. To start rising up. Because at that point, he's just the senator. Right. But he's a senator that knows how to control everybody. So. Right. Yeah. Yep. So it really shows you. I think Padme's storyline is probably the most important part of the fear section, just because that one action, that one thing that she gave in to fear for is what causes the Star War. <laughs> Basically. I mean, yeah. you it know. It starts leading them down that path. Right. And it gives it gives Palpatine the distinction to, um, you know, be an important person that, oh, Anakin's probably like, oh my god, I can't believe the Chancellor's taking interest in me. So, it right. leads that, all that stuff to, you know, happen. But, yeah, it's really crazy how, like, as we've said, George is really thinking George about thinks everything. about all of that, you know? Like, and that fear that Padme gave into is still impacting the galaxy today. In what form? We don't know, but we know Palpatine's still around. Right. And it's not just Padme who, you know, made that one decision that put him, you know, it's that situation. But, you know, basically, you know, he could have been stopped at any point, but... Yeah, and that's that's another thing. So the fear that Padme gave into um i think that's another you know how my whole thing about how palpatine they're gonna stop fearing palpatine i think that's gonna cause his destruction and it's gonna be a good bookend to the phantom menace where the fear that was incited through palpatine like is kind of undo it's undone yeah like even you know even if padme made her decision to give palpatine power like when Darth Sidious was, uh, when he was um, discovered, you know, when when Mace Windu was holding that lightsaber up and he was about to take him out, you know, Anakin was really, you can see it on his face, he was really afraid that if Palpatine dies, Padme's going to die because he viewed him as his one and only option and only solution yeah. to get her to live. So he yep. was really afraid. He says, like, I need him. Like, this, you can't do yeah. this. Yeah, so, so all that fear... All that fear gives Palpatine more power to stay alive because people think that they need him and they don't. But I mean, that's why I think that th it's going to be undone in um, the uh, Rise of Skywalker. Because yeah. even in the end of Return of the Jedi, um, the fear towards Palpatine isn't really ever addressed as a, like she like obviously luke isn't fearful of palpatine at that point he puts a sword down and he is attacked by um by him by palpatine with the force lightning but then obviously vader is fearful that his son's gonna die so he throws palpatine down the um power shoot thing yeah yeah so essentially that's not something that's been addressed and i think that the you know, the the sequel trilogy is primed to finally address how being fearful of Palpatine is not the way to win. Yeah, so I think it'd be really cool to see how they... I'm, I'm, assume, I'm gonna assume then, <laughs> if this is true, that they're gonna defeat Palpatine by letting go of their fears. 
and defeating him once and for all but so we'll see how that happens yeah i couldn't tell you i just think that it's not gonna be through a fight yeah like <laughs> i think that there will be a fight but i don't think that the solution's gonna be a fight if that makes sense right no i think you know palpatine's not i don't think he's gonna come back in the traditional physical form that we think of so it'll probably be a different type of defeat yeah so is there anything else on either symbiosis or fear that you wanted to talk about i think we've talked about them pretty thoroughly yeah explored we've actually through just going through the themes i think we've actually explored the whole story pretty in depth right yeah because these two themes are basically what make up the phantom menace you know i think and star wars yeah and star yeah. wars basically yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I think like everything that happens in the story touches on these things yeah so i think i think we've covered everything that's it tattooing there's a settlement land near the outskirts we don't want to attract attention Um, we did want to yeah. just explore a few tidbits of miscellaneous facts. Yeah, it's just like miscellaneous. <laughs> we really didn't know where this fit, so we were like, we'll just stick it at the bottom. We'll just throw it in the end. <laughs> For anyone that's still listening, thank you. <laughs> so one thing that's really cool that it's been touched upon before, but um, it's one of the newer discoveries, I think, that Kylo's theme actually plays when Padme's ship lands on Tatooine. It's really brief. It's probably a couple notes, but you can see that definitely John Williams thinks about, you know, his previous music and trying to put it in later on because um, I yeah, think... That's... I think yeah. it's that, right? Yeah, it's that one. It's definitely from Kylo's theme, which I think is really cool. Yeah, it's it's so cool. I'm glad he did that. The Skywalkers, yeah. you know, they're and dramatic, then, <laughs> dramatic yeah. selves. Um, yeah, this was when Padme was fine. The first time that they landed on Tatooine, so yeah, I think that that's interesting. It's kind of like, well, this kind of sets the fate for what's gonna go down. Yeah, you know, she's of, they're arriving know. to this planet where everything is going to be changed forever. It's where yeah. Padme's life will be changed forever. And, and it's, uh -huh. it's, I, it's integral to the Skywalkers because Ben ends up having that as his arrival, his theme. It's called Kylo Ren's arrival at the battle. And it's like this happened. This was first introduced whenever Padme arrived in Tatooine. So that's interesting to think about, especially if you're thinking about reverse Anatala. <laughs> anyway, no so, one's thinking about that, Danny. What are you talking about? Right. And then <laughs> there was another thing I wanted to mention, and it's the we've already mentioned this in the previous podcast, but there's um there's a doll or a little wooden statue of Maz Kanata. Um, yes. Did you ever look that up? Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. It's like in Anakin's room. There's like yeah. a little wooden I'll statue. Yeah. It's. It looks exact. You know, it looks pretty close to Maz. So I'm wondering if they like gained ex in like inspiration now. for that. Yes, I think that in the art book of the Phantom, or no, in The Force Awakens, they talk about how the concept artist and J.J. Abrams based it on their teacher, or a teacher of J.J. Abrams who had passed away at that point. But at the same time, it's still very clearly inspired by this wooden statue that's in Anakin's um, 
Anakin's, you know. Yeah, his room. It, room. it makes you think if since Maz is so old, if she like met mini Anakin, you know, baby Anakin at some point, you right? Know? Or yeah, I think she got this doll from you know someone that came into Tatooine. I don't know if it was. I don't think it was Maz, but um, it's just an to make her to retcon it like this makes Maz's um, presence in the galaxy more felt. Or at least in the Skywalker yeah. uh, story. Like, there, it gives her more of a presence because before it's like, okay, well, we have this creature who's supposed to be important, who is a thousand years old, but we've never seen her before. And it's like, okay, well, here she is in the Phantom Menace. So I think that's cool. That'd be, yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, We also wanted to talk about <laughs> a, a parallel between the Knights of Ren and Padme's handmaidens. Because they're both, like, they have their own posse, you know? And, you know, they're both really dramatic. So <laughs> I think that works, you know? that They're basically... And Ren uh-huh. is... Means Lotus. So I think that's interesting because Padme's name also means Lotus. Oh! Different languages, but, um, yeah. In Japanese, uh, uh, Ren means no- Lotus. And then Padme is the Lotus flower. The Buddhist sacred flower. So, um, that's interesting. Too. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that intentionally. They they have to because there's no the, there's no way that's an accident. Like Knights of Ren, it's kind of like okay, well, the handmaidens are kind of like some they're not knights, but they're dedicating so, their cause to. So what you're saying is that Kylo's had a decoy this whole time, and one of them no. is the Knights of Ren. <laughs> uh, no, I don't prescribe to that theory, but okay, but. <laughs> I know people do, so if they do, that's fine. But yeah, I mean, it could be because <laughs> that would be a good parallel, especially that. in the la- the last movie. Yeah, who the knows? Then watch that watch that come to like fruition, and we're like, oh my god! And I'm like, oh, I don't want this to happen, but okay. <laughs> no, I'm Melissa just kidding. was right. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. So another thing that I wanted to touch upon is that Obi Wan and Qui Gon are always getting mixed up in these treaties. Um, in Master and Apprentice, which I'm reading right now, uh, they're trying to have this treaty signed by uh, by the uh, Zirkatek and the place of Pyjol, where Avaros is like being Lord, is he's Lord Regent of, and this whole thing ensues and all this chaos. So it's really funny to see them also like have to negotiate this treaty with um, Naboo and the Trade Federation. So. I mean, I know that Jedis go and they do these missions, you know, to kind of be like what you said, Danny, is like the space police. Um, but I think it's really funny how Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan have been shown to like, they're like the only ones trying to like negotiate treaties and everything, which is funny. Yeah, they're bureaucrat pushers, <laughs> paper pushers. Yeah. And then also, I think it's really cool how we also want to talk about how Qui-Gon was kind of like this father figure to Anakin because I'm you know I'm assuming you know Anakin I don't know if he's had any other like father figures in his life but you know knowing that he didn't have a father I think it was cute to show like Qui-Gon kind of in the short time that he had with him kind of like mentoring Anakin and and kind of like showing him you know the things of like the world and like the force and you know he we know that Qui-Gon was obsessed with these prophecies and kind of you know he was always kind of looking for them in a way or just he was really aware of them 
where you know he once he met Anakin he you know believed that he was the chosen one all of a sudden and he really believed in him from the get-go and I really wonder if Anakin ever had that type of support you know from anybody other than his mom and I think I'll start crying right now (laughs) if you don't stop me I think that through his own way I think Obi-Wan was like that to him as well I mean I know that they didn't they were like brothers but he was also like his father he did say like they were the closest thing to like a father yeah and I think there's obviously the miscommunication so like um you said here that George says that the dynamic between master and apprentice switches whenever Obi-Wan becomes a master and then you know when the Phantom Menace he's kind of the you know the square he's a square who <laughs> follows the rules and everything and he's the apprentice while the master is a rebel and then it switches in whenever he becomes a master and obi-wan or anakin is his apprentice so i think that what i was saying is just kind of like he does love him but since they don't have they don't see eye to eye on everything it's just hard for them to communicate and that goes back to the original point where the master and apprentice aren't really equals yeah, and I think it's really interesting because, you know, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, like we said, Qui-Gon's the rebel, Obi-Wan's the more of the straight arrow. Um, they couldn't see eye to eye. And then when Obi-Wan inherits, basically kind of inherits Anakin, it's the same thing. So it's like Obi-Wan's always kind of stuck in the middle. <laughs> but um, that's what makes me wonder, like, what if Qui-Gon never got killed and what if Qui-Gon trained Anakin instead because there would be both kind of the same type of they have the same type of personality then you know Qui-Gon and Anakin wouldn't don't really conform to certain standards and they kind of go against uh uh-huh I wonder if he would have allowed him to see his mother yeah and I wonder how he would have felt about because even though Obi-Wan or even though Qui-Gon is seen as this cool rebel figure who's not conforming to the Jedi Council he still takes him away from his family because yeah. he thinks that the prophecy is more important than that. So, I don't know. I think it's... I wonder if he saw Anakin, like, struggling, you know, with his whole, you know, being separated by his mom and knowing, like, okay, let's say Anakin is able to see, you know, when he sees his mom in trouble, I wonder if, you know, how Qui-Gon would have felt about going to help her. You know, yeah. I wonder if he yeah. probably would have gone with her and gone with them, you know, and said, all right, let's go help your mom. Because, you know, he had premonitions, too, before, you know, about yep. certain things happening and he tried to stop them. Yeah. So I wonder if he probably would have went with him and, you know, who knows what happened. So it makes you wonder, like, OK, these two people who are kind of the same, you know, personalities, like, you know, I wonder how if Anakin would have truly like felt the dark side. If Qui-Gon was his master. Yeah. He wouldn't have needed to go to Palpatine to talk to him about stuff, Yeah, so. Yeah, because Palpatine was, you know, his kind of, his he go-to his person. Yeah, person. his confidant. And, you know, I wonder how that would have changed if Qui-Gon was his confidant. You know, maybe Qui-Gon could have centered him a lot more. And been like, okay, well, the Jedi do kind of, they, they don't see eye to eye with us, but it's kind of like... But so Qui-Gon was kind of like he didn't really adhere to the same rules as the Jedi, but he still believed in the Jedi cause just as much. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. 
Oh man, I wonder if there's it's probably fan fiction about that. I'm probably <laughs> I might no, be interested no. to read that. Yeah. Okay, so you can find us on Jacku Broadcast on Twitter, and you can email us at jackubroadcast@gmail.com. Remember, I I do want to know what you guys' definitions of the cosmic versus living force is. Like, I want to hear your thoughts on that. If you guys would send us an email, that would be great. And also, you could follow me at Mortis Gods on Twitter and on Tumblr. I'm active on Tumblr, but right now I'm not on Twitter. And what about you, Melissa? You can find me on Twitter as Abandoned Porg and then on Tumblr as Abandoned Sock. Yes. So, yeah, make sure you rate, review, and sub- and um, rate, review, and what else? Um, just, you know, subscri- we subscribe to yeah. our <laughs> Twitter. And uh, we're actually yeah. working on a YouTube channel right now. Yeah, where we just post our videos or not our we post the audio to the t- um to the youtube yeah yeah and um yeah if you guys sh- could like tell your friends and be like oh this is a cool podcast that you might want to listen to that would be awesome <laughs> um yeah share and see what you think see what yes. other people think i think it'd be yeah, cool to start a discussion about some of these topics that we go into yeah and um anything else you want to add melissa um any what's do you know our next episode what are we doing not yet we i okay. don't think we know yet <laughs> gotcha okay maybe we'll do out. attack of the clones <laughs> okay probably oh but maybe d23 yes because that's in two weeks so you're right it's d20 then our next episode is d23 um we've actually um if you haven't noticed yet we are kind of going on a um we have a schedule now, um, whereas before we would just do it whenever. Um, it's every two weeks. Every um, Wednesday is when our episodes will be out. So this episode's coming out August 14th, 2019. The next one should be August 28th, unless I get it out earlier because of the D23 news. But yeah, that's when our episodes are coming out. Yep. Fun. Yep. All right. So thank you for listening and bye. Bye.